Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Brain Trust Podcast. My name is Adam Vass, and I'm a tabletop game designer in Southern California. My name is Willie Epps. I'm a tabletop game designer in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Still getting used to it. The zip code has, no, has letters in it. It's fun. <laughs> it's all fun here. Uh, have you gone in, in outside in Toronto? I went outside yesterday. Uh, they have just started a lockdown. A state oh. of emergency in Ontario. Right. So um, that's cool. But I went outside and the colors were the brightest colors and most beautiful colors I had ever seen. And uh, let me tell you, that's the longest I've stayed inside is two weeks. Yeah. Uh, it, it's one thing like I'm just inside. In my, in, even before quarantine, I, I just, you know, I work freelance from home. So I spend a lot of time inside and then quarantine started. I spent a lot more time inside, but um, there's not like someone at the door telling me I can't go outside. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that makes it feel like I'm choosing this lifestyle. Uh, <laughs> I'm becoming a cannibal humanoid underground dweller. <laughs> yeah, having having it be not optional is is, is different. It's in more intense. I would go out on the roof deck and kind of just. Uh, like a uh, video game from the 90s, like a point-and-click adventure game, I would just look everywhere I could. Just <laughs> just like look off into the distance. And Zeb would come up, and I'd be like, okay, what's that? And then pointing over in a direction, and they'd just be like, that's north. <laughs> and I would just repeat for every direction. Yeah, good shit. That's like, yeah, when, you, when you're on the tutorial level. Um, it, absolutely. They yeah. give you the so, glimpse of everything to come. I had the VR experience of Toronto until I got out in there. <laughs> like we, you can zip to different places and look around and don't want to make you too seasick. Um, I like that this week we didn't even have the pretense of what should we talk about before the show? <laughs> Last episode, we talked about how once that episode came out, we would kind of uh, know our worth as as people and designers and <laughs> as of this recording um babes in the woods second edition is overfunded and i had a great play test of torque yeah great stuff i know we, we were both it. worried about both of those things i think they both ex i don't want to speak for you but i think they both exist in a space where it's simultaneously accomplished and at the same time like some there's some you, work you there. still want more yeah there's <laughs> like, something yeah you got a b plus <laughs> it, exactly which for me that's great i'm cool with that it's not unqualified but uh congratulations on your fourth funded kickstarter mm, gotta do the math i think that's right it's uh, it's my well it's my fifth neck because cobwebs technically wasn't my kickstarter oh okay but I was a contributor or whatever. Um, yeah, I I've noticed too that that's just a weird thing. <laughs> like I don't have access to so much uh, information because I'm not the person hosting it. And I noticed after the fact when I was trying to get data or like get someone's information, how difficult it is to just be a collaborator and not in charge of the thing. Oh, really? Not not as yeah, not as um transparent as i think it should be but i guess there's probably levels to which kickstarter d designates what your a contributor is because like with cobwebs obviously i that was all me running yeah. everything and making the game and everything um i just didn't host the page and that i think i should have pretty much full access to but I understand that for some campaigns, it's just like, hey, I had my friend on the contributor page because I need someone to reply to these comments and I can't keep up with them. And exactly. Like that, and that person shouldn't necessarily see the addresses of everybody. Right. They don't they don't need yeah. it. And it's it's probably a risk to have that. So I think Kickstarter doesn't necessarily let you designate the difference between those things and just wants to make itself secure. So, yeah, I get it. But I would like some information. <laughs> I like some data points, some datums. Um, well, congratulations! Thank you. Uh, here's to what is it? 
by the time this comes out, it's uh, for like twenty more days. Um, so if you haven't backed, uh, if you haven't backed Babes in the Woods yet, do it right now. I keep on saying cobwebs just instinctually. <laughs> um, I think I have a, a speech aphasia going on <laughs> where I've replaced Babes in the Woods with cobwebs. They have similarities. <laughs> No, no, they're none. I mean, there's similarities <laughs> that you designed it. Maybe you should have called Cobwebs Podcast and then called Babes in the Woods Cobwebs. Um, but that's that'd really just be for me. But yeah, uh, Zine Quest is coming up. Um, it is getting, it's looking to be a big one, it feels like. I think, too, everyone is launching at the same time. Um, February 1st, February 2nd. Because the second is the first Tuesday of the month, and what for whatever reason the stats say Tuesday's the day, um, which is a weird thing too that I get weirdly in my head about. I'm like, the stats say that Tuesday is the best day to launch, so everyone launches on a Tuesday, which makes it the best day to launch. Well, like right, which how did that? It's just like weird, um, sick, like not necessarily cause and effect, um, superstition. There's a lot of Kickstarter superstitions, and I adhere to a lot of them. Because um, how could you not, really? Right. Um, I'm I'm launching on the first because I just want it to be on the Zine Quest page as soon as possible because I know people will just go on the first. Right. And if you're listening to this and going to run a Zine Quest and you were thinking of doing it on the second, forget what I said. The second is great, That's too. Me. Yeah, the second's great. Third's great. Any day. Whenever you want to do it is great. Um, and also open offer if you design a zine and don't want to kickstart it, I will buy your zine instantly. And yeah, <laughs> I'll just buy any. If you tell me that you have a zine available to buy that you made instead of doing Kickstarter, I will 100% buy it. Yeah, I think there are more people who will too. Um, you just got to put hash. I'm not. I am not participating in hashtag ZineQuest uh, in your Twitter, so it'll still show up when people search ZineQuest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I am not participating, but here it is available right now, and then people will get it. I'm ex- I'm looking forward to it as a person who likes to collect them and back them. Uh, I've started to like try to consider what my budget for the month is <laughs> it's because gonna be rough. even just among our friends and immediate community, I'm looking at uh, like probably 150 dollars uh, right away of buying my friend's zines and yeah that doesn't account for the people i don't know and the zines that are going to catch me by surprise every every year and the ones that are just like yeah really cool looking there's also always these like breakout stars like you have artifact or uh beak feather and Girl bone last year yeah um that that become sort of like scene zeitgeist you you actually have to have this Right, yeah, this is now part of the... It's interesting, yeah, because it shows that there is not a format limitation on, like, what the canon of games are, which I think we both knew, but it's cool just to be proved that, like, a game can exist as a deluxe box or um, a single 200-word RPG entry or anything in between um, to be heralded as, like, an important part of the game conversation. Yeah, I, I, those things excite me, like seeing a, a zine make five figures or something, and then or have a thousand backers, and and that is really eye opening to be like, yeah, the game, the people who engage with games approve. This is not like you said; it sort of breaks down this um, facade that there is a right and wrong way, or there is like a good and bad way to publish your work. Right, as long as you just make your stuff as clear as possible. You just have access to anybody that looks at it. Yeah, and I'll be looking. I'll be and looking. And here's at some it. financial advice for Zine Quest. <laughs> now we'll begin our legal and financial advice for Zine Quest 2021. <laughs> we need like an FDIC, like really fast. Uh... <laughs> well, that was an MS. Do not <laughs> license financial <laughs> professionals. Uh, my advice is charge two dollars more for your zine than you think you want to and make your goal 10 percent higher than you think it should be and just an extra extra buck for shipping don't clown your yeah don't don't cut, cut yourself short and just see it every day we're a community of shortcutters i do it i get it it's entire it like 
the idea that if you charge $24 instead of 25 for a book that someone's going to be like, oh, it's only 24 and then they back it, um, is a fallacy. Cause the, yeah, uh, the, you're the one thinking the most about that price. Yeah. Um, somebody wants it or they don't. So, and like, there certainly is a, a tipping point, but if you're bickering with yourself over a dollar or two, or like, like you said, a dollar extra for shipping, um, just do it. And no one's going to bat a lash and you don't have to feel guilty for getting paid a fair amount for what you made. <laughs> yeah. And as, um, my grandfather and my great, great, great grandfather always said, uh, they don't walk on the lot less they want to buy. That's uh good wisdom. It took me a second to understand the analogy. It's for yeah, my, cars. my great times three grandfather worked on a used car lot. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> No, that's the a really first, the first used cars, uh, horses. Uh, you don't buy these new. You get <laughs> someone sad in this thing. Um, hey, uh, here's my new guy character, uh, the guy who's the first guy to sell a used car. The, yeah, are you gonna go? Yeah, I might. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I might go ahead and do this one. Uh, cars here, gently used. Wait. So I'm interested. I've heard about these cars. They're pretty neat. But how do you mean? So someone has used the car, but there's still car left. So uh, you can. I don't want that. No, there's plenty of car left. Well, it seems like it's tainted. I mean, why don't you sit in it and find out for yourself? Look, sit here, and I just uh, what it, what were cars made of back then? Sit on this like spiky wooden seat, and then the car <laughs> hopefully won't uh, crumple like a gravity experiment onto you. Oh, it's like when I sit on my horse, except for it's completely flat and it hurts the bottom of my back in an interesting way. Yeah, and when I turn it on, your eardrums will explode, and <laughs> it will fucking hurt your whole ass whenever you drive. Hmm. It's kind of amazing that cars made it past um, the beginning there. Yeah. Uh, also, with all that, the, the seller being like, and the person who had this before, they didn't. They didn't like those things. But I will. <laughs> you will. It is cheaper. Um, and we actually measure this car based on the amount of horses it is comparable to. <laughs> oh, that's great. Can I just give you my horses in ex- equal exchange? Okay, let's see these horses. It's called your horse number. That's how fast the car could go. <laughs> um, yeah, I have four. I have four horses, so can I have a car that is equal to four horses? Because I don't have to uh, feed a car. So well, currently there's no car fast enough for four horses, <laughs> so I can give you two cars. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. I'll just actually have one of the cars pulling the other one just as if it were a horse. A pair of think, horses. Do you think at the... Um, kind of the you know 1850s uh used car lot um when you went in the back to the fine financier's room it was like an old kind of bank teller wild west guy now i gotta assume that there were not cars in 1850 based mostly on uh my playthrough of red dead redemption 2 in which I don't think there are any cars, it's all horses, and I'm pretty sure it's like 1890s. Okay, I'm going to make a quick correction, because Adam is right. Um, Let's say, so if the first car was invented by Carl Benz in 1886, I'm making a role-playing game about cars, so this is live research we're getting. <laughs> um, So, uh, first used car, let's say, generously... <laughs> Six months after 1886, <laughs> when someone's spouse comes out and says, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Makes you return it. Uh, yeah, so I was going to say that would be an excellent segue if you wanted to talk more about Torque. But you don't have sure. to. Um, uh, so right now, the big thing I'm doing with Torque is considering, like, what future support will look like as I've now drafted all the Kickstarter text and everything. And also making a, um, I've talked about this a little bit on the discord, but a web only character creation and game playing flow chart through Miro. Um, so what I've been doing this week is blocking out a Miro board that has, that both teaches you the game 
allows you to make characters during the teaching of the game and throws you into your first scenario after all of that. Just as easy as like these all, all the rules are very visual and I'm just like making lists of what assets I'll need to then make that. Because uh, we played it on Roll20 and it sucked so fucking it was, bad. It was pretty abysmal. For through no shortcoming of your own, but of the of the format, it was it was brutal. And I think it was the first time I've used a Roll Twenty um, interface in probably close to a year. A long enough <laughs> yep. that it's like there, there was when I lived in Grand Rapids, there was this falafel place down the street that I hated. But enough time would pass where I'd be like. I think I'm in the mood for a falafel. I'm going to walk down mm-hmm. and then I'd get it and be like, oh, this fucking sucks. And then I'd forget for probably four to six months um, before I went back and made the same mistake in cycles for my whole life. Yeah, it's it's that classic getting a hangover feeling. So like the Roll20 hangover right now is the worst it's ever I'm, been. Yeah, I'm never going to drink Roll20 again. <laughs> yeah, and you shouldn't. Um, so it works really well in Miro, which is great. Uh, the game uses, I mean, I mean, the, the killer thing here is the game uses cards that you write on and move around. So a card has to hold text and can move around together without absolutely eviscerating everything <laughs> just <laughs> involved. <laughs> There's a very funny moment when we were playtesting where Adam was trying to move a card from one tile to another and it brought up the uh like in roll 20 interface number of feet in between the hexes that were sitting (laughs) behind everything and it just started saying like 15 feet and it was just totally warping our understanding of like what space was or anything so it's like an abstract board and i would i just shit i'll say it yeah it, it it was really taxing to just be on roll 20 yeah, it's, it's a bad website. I am uh, really excited to check out Roll and see what it's got. Um, Roll20, if you're listening, you you already know this. You get it. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you get it. Um, but Miro will be cool because I can preload uh, episodes of Torque into Miro boards, so you just can click it and begin playing. And if you're streaming, you just cast from that browser tab. And, and maybe Tabletop Simulator can do it too, but Miro seems the easiest. So that's great. I sent out a query for uh, the writer for the second issue, which was cool. So I had to like kind of get down what the weird apocalypse aesthetic I want is. And I really want to avoid like gun nut prepper fantasy and like feudalism. So just putting really clearly into words the kind of world I want it to be, the framework I want people to play in. Yeah, yeah, I think already knowing i mean i was one of the testers so i know uh, more than most but just knowing how you're approaching it and how the safety tools work in the game and stuff like that and and also like the sort of pre-programming you're doing as a designer by offering pre-made scenarios and obstacles and stuff um will subvert a lot of that right off the bat which is good right It'll be exciting to see like what amount of narrative design people can squeeze out of this game. Um, so like you can play the pre-made scenarios if you don't want to, um, if you just want to jump in and play arcade mode style. But there's also you know grand tour mode where you each player at the table is creating stuff for everyone else to experience. So it's this cool like engine framework thing. But I was curious because you have um, a bunch of games that rely on premises that you've like created whole cloth that don't really borrow from one single genre i'm thinking like necronautilus in particular yeah um how what is that pitch like in your head like when you're creating and cyber metal is is one that i think of too that like i tie it so closely to your definition of it instead of other things but it's still very clear in my head what it is like what is that writing process like for you i think i have i think i start with a sentence i mean Cyber Metal is a really great one to explain the thought process because it's it's sort of cooked in. Like, what if cyberpunk was metal instead of punk? And that's where I'm, that's where I start. Yeah. Uh, and that's oh, I I think that's noteworthy too. That I start with a question. Um, what if this was that. that? 
what if space was a, a like an elder album like a stoner metal yeah um fantasy and and it's different too because this sort of a lot of the metal i like i like um kind of like throwbacky riffy stuff like the sword uh mm-hmm. and that i think immediately was even with like the aesthetic of that band and their album covers and stuff like necronautilus inspiring but if i made the sword rpg it, w- it would be different than what necronautilus is because i li- i went in a more psychedelic route so i i think I start with a question that I can ask myself of like, what if this world was this way? What if this setting was different in this way? And I think I I do that even with fantasy stuff too, of like, so my game Aurora that came out last year is like, what if um, we played downfall, but we won? Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes it's not just about the location. It's, it's also about how the players interact with it. Um, so once I have that, it's very snowball effect. So again, with cyber metal, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. What if, what if cyberpunk was metal instead of punk? It's like, okay, well you have a lot of, um, focus thematically and in the setting on death and the devil and power, just like the concept of power and what does power mean? And I think in cyberpunk you have um kind of like politically charged or or economically charged uprisings by characters who are considered lower status against those of the higher but they're also often generally working within the constraints of those of higher status right so in cyber metal i go okay well if death and the devil are really important then that status hierarchy is less than so what do i do to purge that and it's destroy the government in the past not even in the current game setting so if i destroy the government 30 years before the game takes place then you get to do the like speculative history fiction like oh there's no president there's no military so then what does like how does the economy reflect that and you don't have to yeah, have you hard draw, you draw answers. these through lines between everything which is like such a fun part of speculative fiction is you're just kind of putting you have the every corner piece of a puzzle and you as the writer can create the interior yeah and i think too so with necronautilus i go okay everything this is the afterlife so who's in charge here and it's not like god or satan because it's it's like objectively just it's not an ethical situation. It's just you're dead. And I go, okay, well then death itself like is in charge here. And so then who is, who is their adversary? Like what conflict is there in this universe if they're the one in charge? And it's just people who would want, not people necessarily, but entities that just want more power in a universe right. where there's a power vacuum. And so I'm thinking of like mob bosses and warriors and stuff like that that take place on a relatively small scale because it is um in my head a a no man's sky universe that goes on for infinity so you know my group could be on this planet your group on that planet will never interact and we'll never see the ripple effects of one another but you can like that it's also optional if you want to if you want to engage in that way it sounds like part of your pitch for these settings and experiences that are like totally unique like novel games and that they're like mechanically novel but also system wise or like narrative wise they're really novel you are both providing the setting and the player activity in the same sentence yeah yeah i think that's important that's the secret sauce yeah because when we go back to thinking about the three questions like what do players do what do characters do what's the third one (laughs) and what the fuck (laughs) do i do (laughs) what the Um, (laughs) Every older three questions. Let's see. What do the players do? What do the characters do? And what the fuck am I doing here? (laughs) Question of what do characters do relies on the status quo of the place that they're in. Because if you have a cyberpunk game and the answer to what do characters do is you do like subterfuge and missions to take down these corporations, those expectations 
can only exist in a framework where the corporations are and they are powerful. Right. right? So that the answer in the, in that way sort of implies a setting, but I think I am more considerate of the setting in answering what the characters do. Um, or I guess I'm, I'm thinking about both of those things in tandem because they help answer one another. And yeah, it's, it's really economical in that you are designing exactly what you will need at the table. Right. And I like to having groundwork setting stuff in both Necronautilus and Cyber Metal. You kind of know what you're in for from the pitch. Yeah. And so if you don't want to engage with any more than that and you just get the core mechanics and the cover art, you're still going to get the desired uh, effect, I think, because it is so th- what the characters do and how they do those things is built into the premise of the game. That That's like a perfect answer. And like, that's something I think about design wise, but I should just sit down and redo for Torque just to see how strong I can get that in the Kickstarter pitch, I think, especially. I found the third question. I'm excited because I I truly don't know what it could be. Okay, so it's number one, what do characters do? Number two, what do players do? And number three, what's like your fucking deal? <laughs> did you actually find it? Yeah, I actually found it. Do you do you actually want to know? Yeah, because that got that did get me. I was okay. I was anticipating. Okay. And now the three questions as presented by every alder. Number one, what do the characters do? Number two, what do the players do? Number three. What the fuck are you doing right here right now? I could hear a snicker in your voice <laughs> and I knew the third one was gonna be a joke again. <laughs> Okay, it's a. Uh, what is the game about? That's interesting. I mean, because to me that question—that's actually the first question. That that's obviously an extremely important question, even for games where the answer seems like it's nothing, right? Like, um, Dungeons and Dragons doesn't have an answer for that necessarily, or a, a satisfying it one. It's just like... It has a like mechanical answer, which is fighting and leveling up, but it doesn't have a larger narrative answer. Right, because it's not a narrative game, it's a war game, and it's bad. There's... Ooh. There's... Um, an interesting... I, I don't know that I, I consider that in my work a separate question from what do characters do? Because... Yeah. But it is, and it and it is a, a good, valid first question to ask yourself. Because in Necronautilus, the game is not about death or the afterlife, even. That's all setting pretense. The game is about how you use language, and that's... Right. It's, it's about how we use language and also, like, examining what happens in a vacuum of power. That and... It... it a lot of... Uh, there's... Single session play is about a different thing than campaign play is. That's such a good point. And I think a lot of my recent work, Babes is that way too. C- campaign is about facing your fears and single session is about just helping people. And both of those themes are present no matter how you play it. But the weight that the game puts on them is different based on how much you want to put into it. So the That's campaign really play of Necronautilus is about what it means to have duty and responsibility and like what sense of self do you have in a system that doesn't um, value individuality. But if you, but if you just play one session, you're never, you're not going to touch on those themes really. So you're just going to talk about, which is still, this is still, I think a profound experience of what do words mean to you and how do you use them, especially under duress. I think that's really strong, and I didn't make that connection for Necronautilus that it's basically like, here it is, what it's like to be burned out in 2020. Yeah, I mean, it came from that, and so to some extent, some of those themes are are subliminal. But um, just the expectation that you act in a particular way, and you're not necessarily individually rewarded for those actions, this is sort of, this is capitalism, this is also like... 
uh, authority. Um, there's the, the concept of authority. Uh, and I think then too, I take those themes and for my December Patreon game, I made a poster called the medium is the message, which is mm-hmm. just like the most on the nose, like the, the society is collapsing and you're an artist and everyone says you can't do shit. Um, but you can, and here, like, how do you use your art to solve this problem? Um, is the most on the nose approach I could take to that theme and still make it kind of a functional game that would be fun to play. Uh, whereas it's a little bit obfuscated in Necronautilus, but it is a heavy consideration that I put into the design. Yeah. And if, if you're sitting here and thinking about Adam describe like their thematic process and designing a game, this is something that you can apply after you've designed a game or to go into the design yeah. with these themes. I mean, it's not a one-to-one kind of like, I decided the game was about this, so it's about this. Sometimes games themes are merged during play and twist what you originally thought they were. So it's always good to have like, a document or a paragraph and whatever thing you're designing that's like, here are some thematic goals that I want to achieve during this project. And it's not like a bullet list of things that you need to do. It's something to measure how your writing process and your design process is going against those goals. To some extent too, it's at some point there has to be intrinsic value into your, in your work that you find and make um, where you don't continue to ask why. Right. Like, cause, yeah. or else you're just going to spiral forever. But I think too, on, on that note of like, if I just sit down and like today I don't have to work, I just want to do a drawing or painting or something. And then I do that and it's done. Um, maybe it wasn't considerate during the time because I was just like, this is a free time activity to me, but having a piece at the end, then you can sort of subscribe meaning to it in the context of, of being removed from its creation, right? Like, Mm -hmm. why did I draw this or why did, why was it, why did I paint this color here or something like that? Um, in the moment you might've just been kind of in the fugue state of creation, (laughs) (laughs) but you can kind of, and, and in this way, it's sort of a valuable, like gauge to check yourself with, right? Like, Oh, I didn't realize that I was making an extremely violent game. I wonder why, I chose to do that at this time or cause the answer could be, it's just fun. Or like I, I watched a gory movie and I wanted to emulate that, but it could also be like, Oh, maybe I'm saying something that I believe about how violence works. And that's significant to even learning that you think that way after you realize it. Cause a lot of your, biases in creation in these ways too are not necessarily fully conscious right they come out from you making the thing and it's always better to go in with the um goal or theme or being open to discovering a goal or theme because no matter what your work will have that and someone else will find it if you don't yeah totally and so, you know, you don't get this wild shit like Tom Hooper directing Cats saying that it's a movie about the perils of tribalism. <laughs> right. Um, right. Instead of a movie about Skimbleshanks, the railway cat. <laughs> Instead of a movie about words like Jellicle. Instead of a movie about Judy Dench's hands. You know, I saw the original hand fucked up cut. I got to see that. They cl- they cleaned it up. And how, but I saw how I has saw it the original. I I've seen both. And let me tell you, it feels like a billion fucking years ago that I saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> like different world shit. Um, I watched Speed Racer last night. Yep, you did. Two thousand eight. <laughs> <laughs> I was sending um. Adam texts up Matthew Fox from Lost. He is Racer X in Speed Racer. Uh, He also plays, what's his name in Lost? Jack Shepard. Of course, Jack Shepard. Classic video game protagonist name. (laughs) (laughs) And I just kept on sending screen caps of him and the really funny, like kind of 
fake luchador mask that he's wearing and saying, um, I race for the Dharma initiative. <laughs> uh, it, the thing that was most dissonant about it for me is the understanding from childhood that Speed Racer was like a kid, maybe, which now that I'm thinking about it is strange because kids can't drive cars. Um, so the idea that Speed Racer's foe would be an adult is really jarring. Well, so Racer X is not Speed's foe. He is an enigmatic third party that often helps speed and may or may not be his long gone maybe dead brother rex racer oh so um, there's a lot speed's enemies are in the speed racer movie everyone go see it it's really good go see Um, it (laughs) (laughs) get in the car go to the theater they're playing it um it is great, leading what the Wachowski sisters said about how they directed the movie um, to be literally antithetical to every bit of cinematography ever created. Um, so there is just a, a billion cool, weird, fucked up things happening all the time. And it's fun, and it goes really fast, and also Jack from Lost is in it, and he's really <laughs> dumb and funny. Um John Goodman plays Pops. I watched a lot of Speed Racer as a kid as um, every, uh, I think like one in five white fathers made their sons watch Speed Racer. Um, I think that's just something <laughs> that happened. Uh, that experience seems kind of universal. But, wow, holy shit. I'm uh, 13 years late on this review, but <laughs> Speed Racer is really good. Yeah, please go see it. Support your local Get theater. out there. If you got a movie pass, get in there. We're never gonna see movie passes again, huh? No. AMC Movie Pass is the Rosetta Stone of the world before. <laughs> <laughs> I had the the like third party movie pass for a second when I lived in. Well, I had it for like a year, but I didn't use it very often because the the theater I I went to in Grand Rapids didn't accept it. Um. And then I got the AMC branded one when I moved to California because we went we lived near an AMC. We went to that theater and it was good. Like we saw so much shit and I saw so much that I wouldn't have otherwise gone bothered to see. Um, But yeah, now that's that's definitely bygone. I mean, in addition to them not being profitable for those companies, um, (laughs) they were an op too, right? They were like a location tracking they just sold all your data instantly. That's fine. Guess what, big corporations? I saw fan- the Fantasy Island reboot. That was one of the last films I saw in a theater before quarantine. And, you know, I didn't hate it. Um, anything else I got to say about Speed Racer? Uh, it, it's it's good. It's bright. It's weird. We, we've gone over half an hour with no break, and we've ended up here. And I think that's why we take breaks. (laughs) On that note, let's take a little break. Welcome back to the Brain Trust Podcast. Adam and I are doing a new segment called Brain Trust Most Wanted. That's right. We're going to give you pitches. I mean, everyone I know already has a zine and they're ready and they're already sweating all the fucking Kickstarter sweat that you drape in green. But we're going to make some (laughs) ideas here that we want to see someone make that's not us. And uh, we are going to put prices on them that we will, if you make it, we will back it at, at, at the price that we say. That's our bounty. That's our bounty. Um, and we're just going to list a bunch of zines. Uh, let's just say right now, you got to claim them if you want to work on them. Because I don't want to see like eight zines of the same thing and then have people like waste their time. And I also don't want to throw a $50 bounty out and have to pay it to eight different people for the same thing. Um, unless it's really good, I guess. that That's the... Unless it's really, really good. All right, uh, let's let's just do some zines. I think zine one. I would love to see 
a complete transcribed episode of a brain trust podcast that you liked. Um, I'm going to put a $5 bounty $5 on that one. It doesn't seem like it's on that one. of high value. Um, at least in outside in, in a greater community in the oh, game right, design yeah. sphere. That would be kind of a common rarity zine. I want to see a zine that is somehow like, I want to, I want a cozy game that is, um, either like farming or gardening or some kind of like plant or it could be animals and any kind of just like we are fostering the growth of these literal things that's that um (laughs) i mean i'm not i'm not doing the work here i'm giving the idea and then you do the work and then i give you the money i'd I'd pay 40 bucks for that yeah i'll match a 40 i think that's uh like I think it's interesting. So a thing that I come back to often uh, in like rolling ideas around is here are X, Y, and Z things that are extremely popular either in strategy games or in video games, especially indie video games. And like, how would a tabletop translation work? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. we did with last week's control dig in, um, which I sort of realized this morning is a big inspiration for, the secret project that I told you about that I'm working yeah, on. Right absolutely. Now. Um, yeah. so the, uh, yeah, a thing like Stardew Valley or even like Pokemon without the battle aspect of just like collecting and exploring, um, those things translated somehow to a tabletop experience would be really interesting. I love that. That's an $80 BT bounty on BT's most wanted. <laughs> um, I would love a, a zine about game design with a particular game design tool that the writer uses and can just talk about for 12 pages. Yeah. The Nathan Paletta creation zine um, during the first zine quest was very much this. And I would like to see more of that. I feel like in zine quest two last in last year, 2020, there wasn't really any that I remember Um, zines that were about games that were not themselves games and it could be it could be anything it could be like one of those like kung fu pamphlets that shows you how to do like a spin kick um or like a a series of interviews that's transcribed or just you unveiling part of your process whatever like piece of personal game design practice that you do I, I would love that yeah i would what what price would you put on that i'd say i want as many of those as possible i'll pay 20 bucks yeah i, I was gonna say 30 but if we get multiples which i hope i hope for 20 each that's a 40 dollar brain trust bounty dang um what you got uh i would like um more games that um have a different like physical presentation um okay break the zine quest rules and make something that's not a half letter and what does that mean any like I, we we've seen a lot of people recently making like the one the eight page single piece of paper fold them up zine i think yeah. that's really great i think zine quest because it is homogenized wants these half letter projects and i want to see more people not do that um i like a square zine i've seen i've seen some of that happening with adam bell's grasping nettles (laughs) coming soon yeah um torque is a different format and i like that i just want you to break the physical format my i i I know that's a thing i i think about a lot like uh is a poster zine is is something that's not made out of paper a zine it's a face mask a zine um do something buck wild and I'll do. I'll give you ten bucks for each one of them. Same here. And if you want to do any of the previous scenes with that modifier, I'll add ten bucks to it as well. I like a compounding bounty here. Yes, I would like to see a game that uses a hypothetical uh, trading card system that you do not have to create. That the players don't create. You mean, or the players do, and the game designer doesn't. Just something 
that you don't have to print cards. I just need a hypothetical, really weirdo card game. Yeah, I like that. I like, um, yeah, the idea that the game designer maybe doesn't make the cards. Or, like, you start with four. Here's how yeah. I would make a card. Then the players make the cards, and they can. there is, like, a trading aspect or third-party kind of interaction. People making their own cards, trading them, bootlegging them, making copies, doing whatever. Deck building from scratch. Yeah, that sounds fun. Interesting. Um, because of the... Uh, logistics of that, I'm gonna say that's a thirty for me. That's thirty for me too. Yeah, sixty bounty. Uh, uh, let's let's do some high ticket items. Yeah. Okay. Um, Welcome to Brain Trust's most wanted gold, <laughs> gold platinum gold club. I would say uh, a traditional print medium, a screen printed zine, or a a linoleum cut print, not the cover, the whole thing. I want to see wow. some artisan craft. I want to see you print an 18 by 24 sheet and like <laughs> fold it down or, or cut it up and make it that the zine. I want an artisanal. I want to hold it in my hand and this is an art object, regardless of its text, regardless of the game itself. The physical making of it was making art. And I would give that at least 50 bucks. Yeah, that's a 50 for me. Um, I would like to see a transcribed fictional actual play by the members of Lost. <laughs> what would it be like if people, uh, if Hurley and Locke were playing a game together? I like uh, the co- this really wild meta concept already at hand, too, of like, that, that would be something as a zine. Like, I think a transcribed actual play would be a really long book. <laughs> regardless of what game you're playing there was also like a fan project i remember when lost was either still on the air or just ended that i had got this zine that was someone made comics like four panel comics of just like things that happen in between the moments of the show (laughs) just like mundane life they're cooking dinner telling stories and stuff and it was so pure and good um but yeah the idea that they're playing a game together and to extrapolate on a not zine quest idea of just like you're a character who's playing this game as a character uh creates some real dissonance in my head but i think it would be really fun yeah i love that 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 feels like a 50 50 zine for me yeah yeah i'll match i'll match because i'm not i'm not necessarily afraid someone's gonna do it um <laughs> but it also thinks it would be fun and worth it would be worth that investment uh, let's see, a high ticket. I um, to extrapolate on what I said of like breaking breaking format and artisanal medium, um, a fabric zine or mm. a zine that's not mm-hmm. printed on paper. Uh, and I think I will note that I am not including digital files in these exceptions yeah. because I don't yeah. want someone to come at me and say you promised on the show to give me sixty bucks, and I'll be like, oh, it's just a PDF. <laughs> This is uh, not a game. Um, It's a PDF. I mean, I did say not a piece of paper, but a physical medium that's not paper. And I don't even know what that would be. But I'll I'll check you a good 60, uh, depending on the, like, objective quality of the the thing that isn't paper. Like, if you're printing on metal, I'll give you 100 bucks. Yeah, we'll pay for parts. Yeah, exactly. I etched this piece of stainless steel, and that's my scene. Yeah, that's 100 for me, too. Parts quality. Let's say sliding 60 to 100. Yeah. Um, And should we just do a ridiculous one? Like, the mo- what's the most you would give to... What's the- what is a project that would get you the most money? To get us to give you the most money. It's probably 100. Probably I, can't do too much more than that. Yeah, but. yeah. I mean, I think maybe my last idea was this. I wonder. Yeah, what what else? What other idea could you come up with that would also warrant a hundred dollar pledge? Mm. And this is, well, I was gonna say, I, I'm thinking of just like this is your base pitch, but I think some people like obviously this would be the deluxe to your like you're still gonna offer a twelve dollar pledge. Oh, you can't yeah. expect us to just fund your shit at a hundred dollars. 
Yeah. Maybe something that is a bunch of knickknacks, like a game that's all ephemera. Building stories, like yeah, how they fit together kind of thing. Make oh. a prototype for Game Island before we make yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um... I, th- I think it was Gion Shim who just made that journaling game about um, like a, a wilderness researcher yes. who had gone missing. Yeah. And one of the pledge tiers like came with ephemera and like weird physical items. Yeah, just an envelope full of interrelated shit that I could play a game with. Um, I like that. Yeah, I would match that. I I wish I got that on on. I, I got to look up the name of the project. Um, I think it's called. It's with a. Uh, it's with Shing too. Let me look it up. Field guide to memory. Yes. Um. Yeah, I wish I got one of those tiers that came with trinkets, but I was late. I, um, I have a a weird bone to pick when a game because Kickstarter has subcategorization. So if you're a game. You then have to pick tabletop game as your subcategory. And I actually, if if the person didn't do that, I don't see it in my feed. If mm. it just shows up as games and not tabletop games, I I, I miss it. Um, the most recent Morkborg uh, campaign for Heretic uh, did this as well, and I almost missed it. Do you think there there's some secret benefit to doing that? Probably in the same way as when we list computer games on itch that are actually tabletop games. Yeah. But I also think... Hi, Quincy. <laughs> I got a visitor. Q! Uh, Q is under the building, everybody. Yeah, QAnon. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is the him. Podcast yeah, we actually have to bleep that <laughs> out. I'll bleep it. Um, <laughs> I, he... he uh, Usually when Erica's home, he doesn't really care that I'm here, so. I mean, he will when I give him attention, but if I'm in the closet of the office, he's not coming looking for me. Mm. Mm. Um, a zine? Any, any zine that involves Quincy or a dog in general, I would I would back. Um, like a game that you play with a dog or a game about being dogs. I tried that game jam and it did not take off, but... Um, <laughs> That, you that, did uh, Street Dogs for that one. I did Street Dogs, which I think was interesting. I never did a, a proper print run. I did some prints from home for my patrons. It was not very. It was not very popular. It was my like cyberpunk, but your dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, the system is a little weird. I think about it sometimes. It's like I don't actually. I've played it a couple times more than I've played most of my games, and I it, and it worked. But like sometimes I wonder in the same. This is a whole a whole tangent. When sure, you when you it. test a game that that you played, and it's sort of like rules as intended and not rules as written, how much band aid band aiding am I doing at mm. the table to make this a fun experience, rather than letting it collapse and realize that this thing is broken and needs to be fixed? Um, I think Street Dogs is a great example because. The first play test was with a group of people on tour who um, I had never played any role-playing stuff with before, so I didn't know what what to expect and what their like level of engagement would be. And then the second was at an event where, where people paid <laughs> to play games. And the money went to charity, but it was just like... I, I, you paid at least five dollars to just be at this table, and I'm running this game, so I'm going to make it at least worth five dollars worth of fun. Um, and That's I did a that. Lovely math problem right there. How much fun is five dollars? Yeah. Um, I think it's just like being a dog. <laughs> In the same way that Babes in the Wood is fun because you play as a kid, I think Street Dogs has a lot of fun because you just get to pretend to be a dog and think like a dog. Yeah. Um. But anyway, I I wonder, especially because that game was otherwise not noteworthy in in the general consensus, um, how much of it was me making sure that it was fun when it was being played, even though those play sessions were should have been considered tests, versus 
how much the game is just good or bad or or failed on other merits like just didn't get attention or it was not the right time or you'll you can never really know yeah exactly i mean i think depending on how you look at it you test it the exact right amount of times and you know that's that's always a weird thing that in play testing it's definitely something you're looking for like where you're band-aiding right but it's just kind of part of running games is that you do that all the time yeah and the expectation that a play group who has it would do that too like you you can't facilitate a perfect game session by writing the rules no matter what you do and that's not necessarily what our goal is as game designer it is to set up enough of a scaffolding that you can build the building yeah we write book you do you play game right sometimes i play the game with you but (laughs) it's still yours yeah yeah um well that kind of derailed the uh brain trust bounty board well that was the brain trust Trust most wanted we're out of money this year after doing yep. this, so um, I can't wait to see what everybody makes. I can't wait for Zine Quest. Um, right now, you can back Babes in the Woods Second Edition uh, at Kickstarter.com slash Adam X slash projects slash projects slash Adam X slash Babes. Uh, that's right. And uh, coming February first, and just two one and a half in a a short amount of time just a few days (laughs) we're gonna edit well one of those things that i said will be right Um, yeah oh damn it's kind of soon huh torque i'm gonna have the first torque it's a rally raid role-playing game where you're freaking racers connecting communities of a post nopocalypse um yeah if you want to know any more about those words i'll have a preview page ready uh, by the time this comes out, um, or whatever, sometime after that, it'll be great. I'm very excited. I'm gonna. We sell can t-shirts. do a week of an interview, like when we did Necronautilus, and and or maybe it was Cobwebs, but there was an episode of this show where we basically like did a deep dive, and you kind of interviewed me about a design. Uh, we can do that for Torque the week that it is oh, live, and and I can post it on the. Yeah, that's really smart. Yeah. Do you want to do that for Babes? Um, Sure. So you can just have it on the page? Yeah, next week maybe. Yeah. Killer. Love it. Um, Great. That was a great podcast, Adam. Where can people find you online? I'm at WC Game Co. on Twitter and worldchamp.io for my website. Um, I was... <laughs> I'm World Champ Game Co. on Patreon. And I can't remember what the status is of my current Patreon game, but... I can safely say there's always one in the, always one coming up. <laughs> Usually I'm like, oh, this game is coming out on this date, and if you sign up before that, then you get the game. Um, I don't actually have a release date for the one that I'm working on currently, which is Born of Cold, my my winter quest. It was it was frozen, <laughs> but it's now it's it's sort of dark fantasy, and it's cool. also Hell Cabin inspired asymmetrical, where everybody has is basically playing a different game to tell the same story. Um, I'm thinking it'll come out probably the second week of February, so it's pretty early to to figure out right now. Awesome. Uh, you can find me online at will.ca. Uh, if you want to follow for Kickstarter stuff, my Twitter is a good thing. I will be um, kind of getting all my inscrutable tweets out of the way before I have to do very <laughs> clear marketing copy for Kickstarter. Um, great. So I'll, you'll get all the hits, you know, the lighthouse joke, a little Babu Frick reference. Every, <laughs> we got, we got all of it. Uh, come to the brain trust discord, have a great time, have a couple laughs, uh, get absolutely pounded and smashed by me. And, uh, what else? Um, yeah, there's a lot of people in the brain trust doing, uh, zine quests. So come, we're just talking about, uh, like literally what are we pricing stuff as it's a cool mutual support group where we're all figuring it out because Kickstarter is scary and bad and it is trying to be your boss, but really we're the bosses and we're all together. Um, and there's no bosses actually. So, okay, great. Is that it? And review the podcast. Give us five stars. We should be doing ads or something. I don't know. Yeah. We should be getting paid. I think is that, is that what that means? We yeah. Should... Why aren't we getting paid for this? <laughs> 
I just want to ask a question at the end. <laughs> um. We uh, what if what if we do a reverse bounty? So if leave us a review, tell us how much you will pay us to do an episode on a given topic, and we'll then pick from the bounty board. Great. Oh wait, yes, Adam. Actually, kind of good, right? Adam. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's actually pretty c- clever. That is an eleventh hour kind of big brain play. Anyway, uh, we're running out of time because we um, said so. This for an hour. So we said so. <laughs> okay, goodbye. <laughs> brain emoji handshake emoji.